So, so I, I don't have any, and I, I, I kind of boohooed about this. I don't have any personal person that was a mentor to me and there. Now, and I want to say that there's many men in my life that I copied things from. Sure. So, so I got, um, we, we were not supposed to mention local guys, but guys that I ran with in church. But one person. You can be local if they're in the past. You see well, what I'm saying? I, I, John Smith, sure. Ken Burnett, those. Sure. Um, um, Brother Bowerman, those are those got, were mm-hmm. ca- kind of mentors to me. Um, but as far as life guidance, I really would follow somebody on the radio or read mm-hmm. everything that they mm-hmm. wrote and said. Robbie Zacharias was one of those as far as a Christian mentor to me. Um, and and you, I've shared many times when I was in college. It was a time when I was kind of in a um, crisis of faith and was left in many situations without an answer to respond to a non-Christian opponent. And Ravi Zacharias, when you hear somebody respond to these answers um, meaningfully, it just uh, rings the bell for you. So Ravi Zacharias is my first one. Um, Mine, uh, I gave a lot of thought to that, but um, I really wasn't even an understanding Christian until I was probably pushing 15 to 18 years old. And so I really didn't have any Christian mentors. I don't even think I really had mentors growing up. But it wasn't until I became a Christian and now with maturity and faith that I realized the ones that were. And one that I've, I've mentioned numerous times was Al Morocco. Um, knew nothing of Christ, knew nothing of the church, and he literally pulled me out of the creek, Indian Creek, and started teaching me about Jesus bringing me to breakfast at his home, bringing me here. So at that time, I wouldn't have thought that was a mentor. I just thought, wow, it's it's an adult that cares Mm -hmm. about me. And so I I see that now. And another one I was thinking about was my grandmother. And um, I never really put two and two together that she was a Christian. But I remember being young, and I'd always find her notes, going through grandma's stuff, you know. And she would have all her bills, eggs, groceries, car. And at the end, it would always say God. And she always had an amount of money, you know, there. And I just thought that was neat when I was little. And, um, and I remember it was probably 12 to 14 years old. Um, again, coming from a very non-Christian home, I asked Grandma, I said, do you have any crosses? And I remember she got up. She scurried to the bedroom, and she brought me out, too. And I've, I have them both still. And I remember when I brought those home, uh, my father was like, oh. What are those? Mm-hmm. You know, literally, he said, were those in a casket or something, you know? <laughs> That's how non-Christian <laughs> my home was. And so, yeah, so my grandmother, even subtly, that I didn't realize that she absolutely was a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's those moments in life that I don't remember. She probably was teaching me, but sure. I just didn't realize it. Um, I have to say, my dad, I couldn't do this without mentioning well, absolutely. him. absolutely. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever been around him. He is the most calming like he's just calm it doesn't matter you know walls coming down around him and he's just <laughs> like well you know I mean he's just real laid back and and he's calm as he has a meat saw know, he's, he's oh, he's like, he him. is <laughs> just like there's nothing I can't ask him about that he doesn't have a reference or you know something biblical to an draw opinion me to. about yeah <laughs> and uh and just recently, you know, we were just talking about like, oh my gosh, you know, the world and its state and everything and, you know, people around us and, you know, I'm all worried about, you know, my kids and raising them and, you know, just things kids do. And he said, well, you know, and I'm all in upheaval, like, oh my gosh, right? Nothing, you know, I'm not, how can I raise children in this world? And my kids are going to do this and that. And I'm so afraid. And he goes, well, you know, Tara, they're just babes in Christ and, even babies poop their pants sometimes. <laughs> like, that was his response. Like, he's not even, you know, all worked up, and I'm like... Life's See, that's the deep theological stuff <laughs> I that's like really to hear. Good. That is good stuff right even there. Even babies poop their pants. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, that's just my dad. Like, I can, I can ask him anything, and, you know, he's just well-versed, but it's just a calming presence and um, just easy to talk to about the word, about the world, anything. Amen. That's good stuff. So, uh, Brother Jerry Jolly, as I told you, as a youth director, uh, what he taught me was it doesn't, if it doesn't affect eternity, let me go. Let it go. If it doesn't affect eternity, let it go. And that's been my mantra uh, throughout my pastorate. John Smith, second guy, would put on my Mount Rushmore of mentors. And I got from him a passion for souls. I, I knew, and I could say with, that I hope every Christian in here would say that 
we know that it's about winning other people to Christ. But do you do it? And that's what John Smith took me to task on. You know, I was saying all the right things. I wasn't leading anybody to Christ. And uh, now, you know, I, I understand that uh, as a person in the pew, we have an expectation of the person that stands behind the pulpit. The scripture makes no delineation. Amen. The scripture expects that of every person that claims Christ. But I guarantee you, knowing that I was going into full-time ministry, I had to make a change. And it was going with Brother John to uh, church camps. It was going with Brother John to hospital visits and the such that God helped, you know. He had the EE program going, too. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Evangelism Explosion, Brother Dale Pelton, one of the finest soul winners you'll ever meet. Uh, Mary, his wife as well, and just go right down the list. Uh, I think you guys had 70 souls saved that one year when you started EE. Tremendous John stuff. John yeah. Moore was one John of them. Moore's one of them. Amen. And, and Megan. Amen. So that, w- that would be my number two. And again, I, on the same vein here, the, uh, whenever I get help from someone, they suddenly become a mentor to me. And uh, this is a co- combination of two guys, Norman Geisler and Frank Turek. Um, again, for, when I first started here and the, the things that I've had questions about, somebody saying them on radio, I start getting their material and start reading it. And I would consider this book a foundational book for uh, a new believer, somebody's wanting to get into apologetics or to start making a reason to answer for Christianity to the questions or um, to the uh, jibes at, at Christianity. This is a really good book, and it really helps you you think about the consequences of there not being a, Christ, a Christianity or their, and what the effects of there being a Christianity um, influencing the world. So uh, I put... Uh, Norman Geiser slash Frank Turek because it's the, the book and the writing that they put together that is a foundational book to me and a, and a source of answers for me. Well, and, uh, yeah, the, I'm, I'm very limited to my mentors because basically it would be naming nearly every man sure. in this church. Sure. Um, you know, I wear out a lot of phones, and that's not because I don't <laughs> like the men that I hang out with. It's because I, I like them very much. So um, the, a great group of men in this church... Um, one that is no longer here but is a pastor was uh, Brother Tom Rudloff. Yeah, you bet. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tie him a little bit to like Brad Bannerman and, and the men that weren't afraid to shout out in the middle of church. Mm-hmm. And I mean shout out for the glory of the Lord, not the heckle or nothing. But, you know, if, if you're... Oh, he did a little of that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was going to say, some people would say if he. it was on the verge of heckling or praise <laughs> of the Lord. But, uh, but I loved it. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I remember being a young, young youth in there, not knowing much, and I would, I would hear him. Amen. You know, still, even at his church, he'll say it's so loud, it, it will throw you off. You know, and he's, he's being moved by the Lord. And I remember uh, the high school football games, yourself, Brother Tom, when my family wouldn't even be there, I would hear Tom mm-hmm. in the audience <laughs> cheering me on. And, uh, you know, and just having that courage, something I've adopted, the Romans 116, not ashamed of the gospel, um, a man that fits it very well. Amen. So I have a mentor that is and this is not related to the church or, you know, spiritual at all, but somebody that definitely shaped me. And um, if any of you had this person in high school, <laughs> do you know who I'm going to say? I, so the Swaffords, I just oh, have to say sure. um, And only because he used to always say to us, and I mean always, never accept mediocrity. Never, never accept mediocrity. Yeah. And he would say that all the time. And I can remember thinking, what exactly does it mean to be mediocre? Because I right. don't want to be that. And he made this big drawing on a board once, and he he did a line, and then he did a line down here, and he said, this is the top 10%. These are the achievers. This is the t- bottom 10%. These are the people that don't care. And he said, here's the rest of the 80%. Just 80% of people are okay with just being there. I don't want any of you to be in the 80. I want you to be in the top 10. That's what I'm And he just constantly drilled him. in, succeed, right. succeed, strive, try, you know, set your goals. And that did, it, it did shape me. And you can apply that to any part of your life, as a parent, as a wife, as a, you know, your growing in your faith, anything, your sure. profession, whatever, you, don't settle for mediocrity. But he marked that on me at a young age. I will never forget that. I didn't even think of teachers. If we started, you know, Mr. Stephen Ross. My oh, yeah. Goodness. I thought that's who you were going to say at first. Well, th- this, no, you will never hear of this guy unless I tell you about him. His name is Rick Head. And Rick is not a preacher. He's not even a Sunday school teacher. He is a faithful church member at 
what was Lynchview Baptist Church. I think it's now called North Point or something in, in North Little Rock. They've moved and they ch changed buildings, so they changed their name. Rick Head took interest in me for who knows what reason uh, in between my high school and, and uh, college career. And he asked me one day, he says, Ben, do you like to play tennis? I said, I don't know. I've never played tennis. He says, well, I, my, the fellow I play with has bad knees. I need a young person that can keep up with me. <laughs> and this guy at that time, I was 20 years old, and I would put him at about 40, 45 at that time. And I'm like, sure, I mean, tennis, how hard can it be, you know? <laughs> it's harder than you think. He ran me all over that court, and it was about halfway through the summer that I realized <laughs> that ball placement is key. Mm -hmm. And once I realized how to place the ball, I got him to run it, <laughs> and, and then we had a game. Well, and, and we're going to keep it PG here, but this is just a true story. <laughs> Darn. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> he and I are playing tennis, and a car pulls up, and two young men pull this lady that was obviously either inebriated or drugged out of her brain. And they started doing the obvious. Oh, no. Yeah. And we're sitting there. <laughs> you know, now, you could say it was consensual. <laughs> she wasn't. I'm telling you, as a 20-year-old guy, I had never seen that before in my life. And we'll leave it at this. Rick did the right thing. And... And, and I, I've never gotten over that type thing as far as him, him you know, he protected me type thing and, and we, you know, did the right thing. And uh, I got a little taste of uh, what life can really be like uh, in a world that's not isolated, if you will, by Christian standards and Christian home. I, I had no idea that stuff went on. Had no idea. And because uh, this was a public facility, if you will, it was a park and such. But I never will forget Rick's influence and his uh, testimony, his example. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, so there, there you go. He's, he would be on my Mount Rushmore. So just a question. The guy that had the bad knees that, that was before you, was he like 22? No, this guy could two play years. tennis. <laughs> this guy could play tennis. For two years, that, two right. years playing with him, he might have. Right. He, right. Maybe explain. I've got bad, bad knees now. Bad knees. Um, so, so number three for me is David Barton, uh, same, in the same vein. Uh, started first started hearing him talk 20 years ago, 25 years ago, in about the time my passion for national revival was uh, getting into my my bones, and uh, just started reading all of his stuff. Anytime I could hear him talk, I was listening to him, um, reading all his materials, and he's got a ton of materials out there, and he's been, just been a huge resource. I didn't bring it, but uh, another foundational work for me was the um, book Original Intent that that David Barton did. And it's got, it's packed with references and original quotes from founders about what they thought and why they were, what they were doing and why they were doing it based on scripture and based on um, the general principles of Christianity. So David Barton's on my Mount Rushmore mentors. I'm pretty much Tap City unless I just start <laughs> writing <laughs> names. Yeah. Okay, I got one more. Charles Stanley, uh, back and forth from college to so from Conway, Arkansas to Little Rock, it's 30 minutes almost exactly to 603 Rose Lane. And um, God just worked it out that almost every time I was in that 76 Pontiac Le Mans, Charles Stanley was on the radio. And I learned about forgiveness. I learned about uh, significance in Christ. I, a lot of stuff you hear today came from those radio shows. Yeah, a, lot of, a lot of you guys are probably going to roll your eyes, but uh, and, and I don't... I don't know if you agree with him or disagree with him, but Rush Limbaugh was another mentor of mine. Couldn't read all of his stuff as quick enough, couldn't listen to him enough. And not, not that I agree with him, but, but he really, if you pay attention, he'll teach you how to think about politics. He'll teach you how to think about, um, certainly he's not part of the mainstream media, and he, he certainly voices a lot of uh, uh, opinion or um, views that co contradict what the main uh, mainstream media storyline is. So like him or not, he, he'll teach you to think in ways that are not, not typical. So Rush Limbaugh. All right. I didn't know we could say people that we hadn't met. I thought it was people that, you know, like. <laughs> 
because I would have said, yeah. We're making this up as well. Because because I I would have said Beth Moore. I mean, for sure. I love Beth Moore Bible studies. Can't get enough of just anything she says and writes. Isn't that sad that my mentors are books? I mean, isn't it sad that she says something about my life? I'm not going to comment. Feel we free. have a lot to cover. So and, and if you were to be role models, <laughs> that was one thing I had wrote down was Peter from the Bible and Amos. You, you know, and just n- on numerous accounts of things they did that I've role modeled my life after. Man. So Good stuff. All right. So coming up very, very quickly is the Easter Walk. So we're on to announcements here. Yes. Uh, February 17th, the Easter Walk practice begins already. Shalom. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Um, that's 5.30, and it'll be each Sunday night, if I'm correct, at 5.30, starting on the 7th. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, till, till we have the walk, mm-hmm. yes. And the walk itself, mark your calendars, is going to be March 18th through the 20th with, I believe, a practice run on the, se- on the 16th, which is a yeah, Wednesday night. Wednesday. Um, so those are things to be looking for. I'm getting my lines um, messed up. <laughs> yeah. Also coming up on February 13th is kind of an informational meeting about the family vacation trip to the Colorado Rockies. Which I think is such a fantastic idea. Uh, really, really a great idea. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, for more information, you can see Keith or Joy Ragsdale. But that there will be at 1 p.m. at St. Clair Burger King an informational meeting about that. It's like a group family vacation, like a very inexpensive and very fun way to do something with your family very this summer. Inexpensive. I think there's something on the board. If you need Keith's number, just let us know. He, he would be glad for you to call him. Um, and one thing we might say for those that are new, uh, our Easter walk is simply a 45-minute outdoor theatrical play about the last days of Christ. Okay. Um, and we'll have more announcements coming up. So I'm just saying, anybody? I had one um, proposed to me. I don't eat Oreos. I actually hate them. But what was said was, why in the world, and I'm just saying, would they make anything but a double-stuffed Oreo? Like, a <laughs> single-stuffed Oreo, really? It's a waste I of time <laughs> now. Yeah. Anyway. Now, if you don't like Oreos, that kind of throws your character in question. I know, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate them. And they even they have, even, yeah. Just I just they're quote-unquote so bad, or you don't like the No, taste? I don't like the way they taste. Don't oh get me wrong. I'll, I'll eat a cookie if it comes across me. I try not to. Yeah, what the, the what? And they even have like a cinnamon Oreo for like oh, they've got uh, all flavors now for Valentine's Day, and I was like, that sounds fantastic. Banana, if I like Oreos, banana Oreos, and yeah, Oreos are awesome. Yeah, I, I've just regular. I don't precious like few since I've been diagnosed well, diabetic, but I, yeah. I do love them. And we were talking about this at work, and it sparked and such I a controversy. Few hundreds. Yeah. They're like the worst. <laughs> they're like the worst. Like precious precious few packages. Yeah, right. Right. No, I mean, thousands before they're that. like, you don't get the generic Oreos, do you? What are they called? And they had like all the different names of the generic Oreos. Oh, yeah. Like, you Chocolate can't eat those. You can yeah. only eat the Oreo. It, it was a package of Oreos and Brad Bannerman that taught me that serving size means nothing to him. <laughs> <laughs> Must that be boy nice. Can <laughs> down a package of Oreos. So I got a, I got a, I never thought I would say I never thought I would say I want to start up work an exercise routine and get LASIK because I don't want to look like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really concerned about this. He I, may I be our my, next keeping my hair, Keeping my hair cut. That's awesome. That starting is, to work that out. That is awesome. I, I'm just saying. I, I've got an I'm just saying, but go ahead, Tom. Man, I had a whole bunch tonight. Is, is John here? Is there any cops John. here right now? Sykes? Johnny yeah, Sykes. No, no, okay. He's downstairs. I got an I'm just saying, or it could be a take it or leave it. I got pulled over the other night. Oh, I had a bad taillight, no big deal. And the cop comes up and he looks in there. Glad you see you got your seatbelt on. I said, "Okay." He said, "I'm part of a seatbelt task force." Okay. Really? We need a seatbelt <laughs> task force with all the stuff going on in the world. And I'm just thinking, or did you get like a certificate with colored ink and stuff on it? You know, oh, I'm just. Oh, I sense heavy sarcasm. Below here. the belt there. I'm just a seatbelt task force. You know, I thanked him for being a cop and being out there. but Thomas Nays, he drives a Dodge Dakota. <laughs> Dodge Dakota. This is going to be on the internet, Mainly brother. on Highway K. It's Take it or leave it or I'm just saying or whatever. Yeah, I just, that's seatbelt awesome. task force. Well, <laughs> Seatbelt task force uh, going to show up at your house now. <laughs> yeah. we, we talked about it Sunday night, uh, and I'm assuming that Lacey Adams had her seatbelt on. And Mandy's oh, saying yeah. yes. But Lacey Adams was in a life-ending type of accident two Sunday nights ago, and she walked away from it. It rolled twice Goodness. and actually got on its end. She said it didn't go end over end, but it got up on its end and came back down. Uh, she took an exit. 
too quickly and, and overcorrected. And the truckers told her we were coming up to get the dead body out of the car. Wow. And when she walked out, they're all like, whoa. Wow. So see that wow. seatbelt task force time is, is important stuff. So <laughs> I'm just saying, this, this goes along with uh, what we're trying to get ready for murder mics and the such. Um, <laughs> What's that? Oh, Barney Five? <laughs> I'm a Mark fan. I love it. <laughs> Citizens raised. So, I Jeez. look at that. Am a I'm, I'm a Tom Moppin type. Not Tom Moppin. I, I probably never achieve his greatness, in, and I'm saying that in all sincerity. But I love to. Uh, process meat to kill the animals. That's right. Yeah, he loves to kill animals. To take a pig, he loves from it. Pen loves to plate. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is an awesome thing. I'm just saying. All right. I'm good. I think a lot of men I've come to know agree with that. Like, there's something about. And Make okay, can I? Cook meat. Can you question my character even further? <laughs> there we go. I, I don't know if, if I can go ahead. I don't really like meat. Yeah. <laughs> my Lord. dad's a butcher. Oh, wow. I know. You, you I and your wow. sister. He was said. We were talking about that. Teresa. He said, "Where did I go wrong this? with those girls? <laughs> they don't eat meat. <laughs> 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 Teresa's even allergic to beef. It's yeah. even more funny. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> anyway, we have digressed. Irony. Yeah, we have digressed. All right. So this next segment, when I read it, I was like, "Oh, risky." But here we go. Here Just we go. Like dive right into your this. Face. Uh, yes. You can Lyle. text in. Text in your opinion. Don't don't key my car. I don't want my tires flattened. But we're going to discuss this political season a bit, um, starting with kind of a series of questions we want kind of answered quickly. The first question is: This has been one of the longest political seasons in recent history or in memory. Mm -hmm. Do you think it has been good for America? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just think it ha it, America's in not very good shape. That's why it's been a l long political season. Everybody's looking for the next, what's right. coming next? What's right. Is there going to be somebody there that's going to help us get out of this, this mess? I think that's why it's been long. So, no, I don't think it's been. I think it's in, we're in a situation where we have to look for some kind of political light at the end of the tunnel, and that's why it's been so long. We've been in the dark a long time. Yeah, I think you can answer it either way, and, and potentially how you spin the answer be right. So, so no, it's not good for America because we are in such a horrible situation. Yes, it's been good for America to, to see that, that this is such an important, you know, situation. And there are so many people. I mean, I, I honestly never thought I would live to see the day that a candidate would say he's a socialist. Yeah, in and, America. And most of his followers cannot define that term. Nice. They cannot because they've tried. Free they, ice cream. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Free education. Go. go ahead, Tom. Oh, um, are we still on? Yeah. That it's been a long one? Yeah. Yep. I don't. I tune out. I really do. It's, it's like been too long. <laughs> I don't watch football, but I'll watch the Super Bowl. You know, sure. I don't. I watch some of the clips here and there, but it's all just pandering and placement right now. I, I think I, I texted in one time, anymore in poli politics nowadays, you don't have to prove how good you are. You just have to prove how bad the other guy is. Right. And so I just wait till the end and right. see who's got Fewer black eyes. Okay. Do you think Trump is good for America? I, yes. I do not. I do not because I do not believe the hype. Uh, I love the guy as a businessman. I love him for uh, what's the word the uh, the chutzpah and such of that nature. But you know, America has consistently got in trouble by listening to what the politician is saying right now and not looking to what he has done for his entire life. For his entire life, he has been a liberal. He has supported liberal, you know, so on and so forth. Amen. And yes, a person can change, but I want to see about 20 years of change before I <laughs> right. vote Elect for him for president. Yeah, right. president. Uh, the, the, the day that he started running was the day I learned that he had changed some views. Not enough for me. That's just me personally. I think as far as Trump, that was going to be one of my things I thought I'd never say. Because I'd love the guy when he come out. You know, well, he's saying the stuff we all want to say. Sure. You know, um, and one of my things I thought I might never say is I might not vote for Donald Trump if he was. And, and why, I'll, I'll get into later. But I think one of the best things he has done is he's forced issues that probably wouldn't have been sure. said. He made these politicians talk about stuff because he don't care. Right. And that's part of the thing I think is good about the political event right now, you know, and he's, he's, he's calling them he's out He's really everything. schooling live politicians, conservatives, 
how to handle the press. I, that I like about him. Absolutely. He's, he's running the press like a and I agree with that well. well-oiled machine, and he's teaching conservatives how to do it. Uh, instead of letting them take the reins, he yanks it from them and then runs, and I, I like that about him. But I, I don't think he's good good for America. I think he's done a very good job at, at school and the, the people on our side how to handle the press. You don't have to pretend like the press is our friend, we, and they're not. It's very good to op up front say, look, you're of a, an opposing political opinion, and let's leave it at that. Don't try to represent me. I won't try to represent you. I'll represent myself, but don't, don't spin it. Trump, Trump is, his main campaign uh, slogan is, make America great again, and he has no clue what makes a great nation. He, he's virtually clueless on that. That's his main uh, driving political campaign. He's got a slogan, but he doesn't have any meat make behind it. So, so how do you make? How does a nation become great? B biblically speaking, how does a nation become great? I'm thinking of Proverbs, there's, pro there's a proverb: um, well, righteousness they, exalts a nation. Yeah, they deal with their sin. You bet. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. I don't think Trump's probably ever read that verse, much less know that it exists. Not in two Corinthians. Two Cor it's not in two, two Corinthians. Corinthians. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, he, if he, his main emphasis is on economics, and I get it. He thinks that making America great would be making a great economy. But I want to ask you, and, and Trump campaign is probably going to call me tomorrow. I'm sure. With the cops that have pulled me over. Sure yeah. a, they probably happy listen to, to this. Me and you don't need to opinion. ride together, that's for sure. <laughs> if you make a country with a great economy, can a moral system develop out of that? Can a, great immoral, can a, a system of moral excellence develop out of a great economy? If your main objective is a great economy, that is your moral system. Right. Right. Can a great economy develop out of a great moral foundation? Yes, it did. And it did. It did. It, the greatest right. economic system in the world developed from a solid moral foundation. So he's, he's wagging the dog, essentially saying that he's going to make America great again by making it a great economy. The, the moral fabric has, the moral foundation has to come first, and then the great economy comes from that. Everything else springs from that, too. Cultural richness, cu cultural depth, um, redemptive qualities of a culture, that all comes from a moral foundation. And despite what people think, America is not just an economic system. It, we have a great heritage and ideology that got us where we are. We, we seem to have forgotten what it is, but um, we, we, are, we are, maybe the word term is were, a great nation because we had a great moral foundation. I've got a small Trump's article clueless. I could probably read fairly quick. I heard on... We got more questions. Oh, we do? <laughs> oh, yeah, we got a lot more questions. It's, it's right on Trump. All right. I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, evangelistic leader just explains why Donald Trump won't be invited to speak at his university. Jerry Falwell come out, and he endorsed Trump. But this is what he said. My answer is simply and brief, no, I will not. And this is allowing Trump speak at their university and why. And selecting speakers for Oklahoma Wesleyan, party affiliation, and political positions do not matter. Personal conduct, public, public statements, and theological integrity and moral consistency do. In short, unless it is an open debate where different sides of the issues will be presented, we choose speakers who generally promote our university's mission and who do not stand in opposition in either word or deed to what we claim to hold dear as a Christian community. So, continuing. My response Anyone who is pro-abortion is not on my side. Anyone who calls women pigs, ugly, fat, and pieces of blank is not on my side. Anyone who mocks the handicapped is not on my side. Anyone who has argued the merits of a government takeover of banks, student loans, auto industry, and healthcare is not on my side. Anyone who has been on the cover of Playboy and proud of it, who brags of his sexual history with multiple women and who owns strip clubs in his casinos is not on my side. Anyone who believes the government can wrest control on the definition of marriage from the church is not on my side. Anyone who ignores the separation of powers and boasts of making the executive branch even more imperial is not on my side. I am a conservative. I believe in conserving the dignity of life. I believe in conserving respect for women. I believe in conserving the Constitution. I believe in conserving private party, religious liberty, and human freedom. I believe in morality more than I do in money. I hold the principles more than I yearn for power. I trust my creator more than I do human character, and I'd like to think of all of this and more makes me an informed and thoughtful citizen and voter. I've read, I've listened, and I've studied, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in this man's, in this man's track record that makes Donald Trump on my side. I refuse to let my desire to win trump my moral compass.
I will not be allowing Donald Trump to speak at Westland University. And yeah, and that almost swayed me because I was yeah. like, yeah, I want to win. I want to win. I want to change it. And I'm like, you know, that guy's yeah. got some strong points. Got some strong points. Um, that just reminds me of something my dad used to always say to not to bring him up again, but you're going to think he's like some kind of saint. He's <laughs> he is. No, I mean, you know, but he um, used to say your political, your voting and your political beliefs should always line up with your religious beliefs. Amen. And if they don't, you need to reassess Amen. your spiritual One or beliefs. The other, yeah. 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 Um, okay, moving on. Do you think Hillary will be indicted? Hillary for president. <laughs> president. Uh. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I, they've somehow eluded the law, and any. I, th I think they've got more, you know, uh, mm. skeletons in their closet yeah. than any of us could even dream of. And I, do I not just think don't she think will be. they're gonna. I, I do believe she should be, but I, I do not believe she will be. I don't know. I think uh, I'm leaning the other way. I'm thinking she's going to be. I mean, it's, uh, the, you hear rumblings about the FBI and this in investigation. Yeah, but we also heard rumblings that I, I, yeah, McCain I'm was going to win. We heard rumblings <laughs> that you know, I mean, you know. I, I think it but might I'm actually happen. I, I hope yeah. anyway, justice will be served. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I just, again, I, I tune out on most of that stuff. I think she should be. I think 99% of all of them should be on one form or another. Sure. It, Look at Ted Kennedy, you know? Right. Mm. She, she may have to be because of the other people are in, that are involved. She may have to be the fall person. Because uh, Obama and Kerry and right. there's several other people that are involved in this. So somebody, she may have to. I don't know. It's just speculation at this point, but and there's people I'm leaning towards the something's going to happen to her. So yeah, there's people that said Bush should have been indicted for the Iraq sure. War and all sure. that. Sure, you know the the union fight between Democrat and Republican and all that. There's a, a buck hoist operator we were talking to the other day, and we said if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, would you elect him? He said, Oh, absolutely. He said, But if, if Hillary is you know the nominee, I'm going to vote for. Her. He said she's got a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him, and I'm not going to get into that debate. And I said, That is the first time those words have been uttered on this planet. And we just, I just have a good day. Got off. Yeah. <laughs> heart of gold. Um, before I go to our next question, well, actually, I'll come back to this. I apologize. Um, do you think? Or what do you think of one of Bill Clinton's past accusers coming public with the concern that if she, quote, commits suicide to start an investigation? Any thoughts there? That was absolutely mind-boggling to me. I, I've been, I, I was raised in Arkansas, so everybody that is of a conservative ilk in Arkansas knew what the Clintons were from the very start. But you know, he was elected governor how many times, so there's obviously not as many conservative-thinking people in Arkansas as there were folks that voted for him. But with all that said, uh, the list of people that have met an untimely death that were one time very close friends to the Clintons is, is staggering. And, and I believe that we have to take this situation seriously. You know, doing to others as you'd have them doing to you. I guarantee you, if I, if I was in this situation, I, I would want people, my best buddy would always tell me, Ben, if you ever hear that I committed suicide, start an investigation. Because he wasn't going to kill himself, you know, and he had made his mind up type did, thing. But I, I may have missed something in the news. Did one of his former, oh, yeah. she did commit suicide? No. She's, she she's, said. Do so I have to commit suicide to get into this? If she said, if you hear commit that I committed suicide, oh, okay. start so an I investigation. And if you question. don't know what we're talking about, there is a healthy list of very odd coincidences. And, you right. know, I'd call one thing a coincidence, two things maybe. But there is a handful, like you said, of people that have. Like 40 and beyond. Yeah. 46. That they can 46. Track <laughs> of a car oh accident. You don't want to be the friend that's them. on this thing. You know, so well, if I it looks like a duck, that. sometimes or, it's or a duck. Yeah, no kidding. Um, who do you think will still be in the Republican race in May? I think uh, Rubio, uh, Trump, Cruz would be my opinion. Yeah, and maybe Carson. Maybe Carson. It's the, I would say the exact same. And if he just had some fire, I think he would win. Right. He's like Eeyore. He's so nice. You love him, but he's just yeah. so quiet. And, and he, he's right on on, yeah. on well, all of our concerns. Okay, and, and that's a good point. Because, Tom, I have heard that and heard that and heard that. But, but why is it that we applaud Trump for being who he is? But when Ben Carson is who he is, uh, he's because I've said the same thing, right? And I thought the same thing. But the reality is, is that if we applaud Trump for being the jerk that he is all the time, because that's who he is, why don't we applaud Ben Carson that everybody wants him to be this? I'm a huge fan of, of 
Ben Carson's, and, and I don't know if you, if anybody saw his his debut. What brought, brought him to national stage was the, the uh, prayer breakfast, in, or the uh, the president's national prayer, prayer breakfast, breakfast right. in, uh, in Washington, and he dressed down Barack Obama in in such a polite, soft-spoken yes, way. Yes, absolutely. After time after time, question after question, point after point, he he just chopped the right. the blocks right up from under Barack Obama. On pro-life. Very pleasant. On, on mm -hmm. health care, pro-life, many issues. He, he said, he kept saying, looking directly at the president, saying, we're smarter than that. Right. We're smarter than that. Just one point after another. So he, he does not avoid hard issues. He's just very soft-spoken. Someone texted in, considering Trump and Ben Carson, I think Trump has some good qualities, and I like what he says. He controls a room and can intimidate leaders. I like some of the things Carson says, but he doesn't control a room like Trump does. And what is scary to me is, in my humble opinion, is that perhaps a third of our world leaders are racist and would be against Carson. I like Carson and what he stands for. I'd have to vote for him over Trump at this point. If it was on the opinion? ticket, I would agree. I think, and you know, you just brought up a point. We've talked about people thought Jesus was a pansy. Sure. Because he was quiet and probably, sure. you know, other than the whip and right. the temple. But I guess I'm maybe sorry, we... I don't think we can say pansy on this show, can we? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, maybe it's like we think power comes with aggression. Right. You know, and well, I think Vlad do. Vladimir Putin, you know, is he going to be afraid of soft-spoken Ben Carson or I'm going to bomb right. your roofs off your house, right. Donald Trump, you know? So I don't know. Somebody said Trump would make a good vice president. You could just sick him on people. <laughs> well, no. The, oh, my goodness. That's absolutely right. I think that probably what may end up happening is, is if Trump wins the nomination, if he would pick a, a Carson or a Mike Huckabee, then then we've got kind of hope once Trump's done. Because a lot of times the uh, vice will get to, to say, too. Carson's got uh, a, a way of saying things that are pointed and, and tear the heart out of an issue. Um, but he, he's not, he doesn't demand the attention that, that uh, Barack Obama I'm sorry that Barack Obama and Trump both are, they, okay. they demand attention and that, that uh, narcissistic, narcissistic nature there. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about having another one in the office. Out of those guys, Trump scares me the most. I'd much rather have Cruz, Rubio, or I'd, I'd rather have Carson. Carson's my pick. He doesn't seem to be doing well enough to win right now. Uh, what do you believe will be the deciding issues in this year's election? I believe the economy. Uh, it's not what I think should be, because pro-life should be, in my humble opinion. But the economy is going to be, and, and national security. Everybody's pretty freaked out about the threat of the Muslim situation and such. So national security is going to be a big issue. If you throw in that the, the immigration problem, right. I would say yeah, that part of that. That that's really what got Trump on the map, and I, I would say Americans on every every of every political persuasion, Americans want that to happen. They want some kind of immigration reform where there's a uh, a real border between us and and Mexico. Yeah. And if we would just carry out the laws that are already on the books, yeah, yeah. it Amen. would be fine. No, we need but more. We, you need more right. laws to enforce and the laws wall. you already have. And a wall. Yeah. Well, we do need. Gavin, yeah, I like yeah. what you said about borders, where you said borders are meant. And I'm not going to say it how you said it. So please, just, you said. Or, you have to remind me what I said. Well, it was <laughs> um, No, you said um, borders have a purpose. And right. the purpose is not to. Um, keep people in. Right. It's to keep people out and to find like a Like, why have a home without walls? You have yeah. a home with walls around it. Well, somebody said, I don't th know if they've done it. I didn't know to President that. Obama, that but, is brilliant. but he said fences don't work. He said that in one of his speeches. I could find it on there. And all somebody would have to say is, then why is there one around the White House? Right. You know, now it don't exactly. work the greatest because people are flying at hell. But still, <laughs> they do work, you know. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. What do you think uh, the overt Christian message of these candidates are? Are they genuine or just more political? I want to believe them. I really do. But I, we've heard it before. But, but it, it has boggled my mind how overt they have been. I mean, Marco Rubio takes out a, a you know, 30 second to a minute commercial just to proclaim his faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. First candidate I ever heard do that. Scott Walker did too in the first right. on the first. Ted Cruz's speech was a sermon. Yeah. Absolutely. It yeah. really was. And yeah. his father was a pastor. Right. You know. 
His father's kind of a loose cannon, though, I hear. He can say things that can be taken wrong. He's, he's a good man, don't get me wrong, but, and a man of faith, but uh, he, can be, he can say things that is sound... This, is this an odd statement, though? I almost, when it comes to people declaring it on a political stage, I would never, and I won't even question their salvation or nothing, but if somebody's up here is different than somebody's running, they want to... I believe somebody more like Trump than I do somebody proclaiming there because he don't care. He don't, he don't get it, two Corinthians. I believe him. Right. But when somebody's up there running for an office and they're, they're pounding the Bible, sometimes I question that. Right. You know, because I think as Christians, a lot of times we're way more humble than well, that. Well, and once again, I'd like to know five years ago, were they faithfully attending a yeah, church? Yeah, exactly. Were they tithing? For the were last they, 20 years, where have they been did doing? Did they teach Sunday school type thing? Because that's where they're coming off. They're coming off as, you know, they're, they're on the board. But you're right. <laughs> I want to believe it. I do. Well, amen. Yeah. Um, somebody texted this in, and I've got to say this before we end this segment. General Douglas MacArthur warned in a speech to the Salvation Army, December 12, 1951, stating, History fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has been either a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to ultimate national disaster. All right. I feel like we are there. <laughs> that we is are the turning there. point. Um, finally, on announcements, as you can see, the stage is set up slightly different than it was on Sunday. Um, we have our banquet, our Valentine's Day dinner slash banquet mystery theater, and that is this Friday night at 645. Is it late? too late to sign up, Mandy? Tonight's the night? All right. Okay, so see Mandy, if you haven't come and you want to, couples or singles, you can come dressed up or not. See Mandy after the service. Come dressed up. And, and it <laughs> is that, that going be to role. be absolutely worth the $25 for a couple, the $12.50 for an individual. Please, if you don't have anything else to do type thing, and, and maybe this is your first night, you will have a ball. Okay, anybody I'm just saying, or I never thought I'd see Elvis in the church. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're, we're, we're having an event. started on gospel hymns. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. True, but we're, we're having an event that is decorated in a, with a man that people thought was ushering in the Antichrist 60 years <laughs> right. ago. Yeah, he was. And it's quite calm music now, isn't it? That's yeah. Sad. He moved his hips. Right, I know, but at, at that <laughs> time, they were like, Elvis, love. oh, goodness. It's going to be a good time. Mm -hmm. Ben? Yes, ma'am. I'm just saying things you thought you'd never say. Uh, I, I, I shot my bullet with uh, I'm just saying. Yeah, me too. All right, good, because we are so close to out of time. Did you want to read that one? The I'm just saying? Uh, yeah, somebody said, I'm just saying. Clinton excommunicated from Baptist Church. Obama excommunicated from his Baptist Church. And Trump excommunicated from his Presbyterian Church. I'm just saying. Three for mm. three. <laughs> He's presidential three for material. Three is not bad. I, I uh, yeah, it must be presidential material. There you go. Yeah. Well, we got a bunch of folks over the years. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, kidding. No, no, I, I just pulled up my post you were talking about a while ago with the walls, uh, Tara. And it just was a, I, I ranted on about people saying they want a, a country without a border. And so what you're really saying is you that you want this country to cease to exist. You're, uh, I pretty much call people out as traitors. If you want this country to cease to exist, find another country that you like and you want to support. If you don't like this country, move away. The borders are, that you detest are open for your exit. So that's, a, that's one thing that marks us as a country different from others. You, the, you can leave anytime you want. Until the, um, so do you, the question, I just posed a couple questions. Do you sleep with your doors open? Do you live under an awning or a pavilion? Did you buy a house without walls? No, then you're a hypocrite. If you want a country without borders, why don't you live like that? Don't want a home without borders? Me either. There must be something you want to keep inside or protected. It's easy to protect with walls, isn't it? Um, so walls and borders, the, the parallel there. Okay. We've got seven minutes for this last I know. Time. We've got to dive into this. Although somebody did quickly say Elvis Presley was said to bring many to church by a pastor because of his gospel songs. Oh, or true. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like Johnny Cash. Well, sang a lot of gospel. Mo most folks don't know that. Uh, I do like Johnny Cash. <laughs> Elvis was a huge uh, statesman quartet fan. So much so that he would go to their concerts and he would have to sit in the back because if he went out, <laughs> it was over. Uh, and he actually came on stage and sang, uh, I think it was No One Stands Alone uh, with the Statesman Quartet. Pretty good stuff. 
Um, boy, this is like on the border of should I or should I not say this? <laughs> say it. Oh boy, it's really PG kind of thirteen. Just say take well, you can't say that and then not say. Well, it. So <laughs> my grandpa. Okay, my grandpa's ninety-two, and he was talking about you know telling all the stories that you know, letting out all the family secrets. But he goes, I took your Aunt Barb to an Elvis concert. <laughs> and he's telling the story, and he goes, there were brassiers flying everywhere. <laughs> and I told her, don't you throw your brassier. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff. Restrain Sorry. Yourself. Don't look, Sorry. Ethel. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> all right, uh -oh. so for our final segment. Yeah, we got that out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> good thing my daughter didn't hear me say that of everybody. Um, we're going to talk about the value of adversity, and uh, we have a grief support group that is starting. Yes. Is it started or starting? Okay. Uh, I think the twenty-first, but it's in the or will be in the bulletin. Uh, come talk to me. Tanya Schulte is going to be leading it. It's based on the book. I, I literally, this church has given out at least a hundred of these books. When life is changed forever by losing someone near, and the grief support group is going to be centered around that book studying the book and such. After the grief support time has run its time, then it will basically just go to a once a quarter grief support meeting where you will come together, you know, one time you'll come together and everybody will bring your particular loved one's uh, favorite dessert, your particular loved one's eight by 10, your particular loved one's uh, favorite vacation, whatever the case may be. Uh, but those events will be centered around a theme, and you'll come and you'll talk about your loved one, and you'll talk about how you're doing in your grief and such of that nature. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Brad and I have literally prayed for this for 15 years, and Tanya has uh, stepped forward and said she would lead it, so we're excited about that. Yeah. I always think of something I heard a counselor say once when talking about grief or pain or a mark that, you know, something that was very, very painful. And he said, um, have you ever had a surgery? And he said, do you have a scar from that surgery? And he was like, yeah, I have a scar. And he's like, do you think about the scar every day? Do you, do you still feel the same pain that you did the first time you, you had the surgery? Um, he's like, did they say to you that scar is always going to hurt that bad and look that hideous and be that painful every day? Is that the first thing they told you? And they go, no. You know, you have the event and it leaves a mark on you, but eventually it, it heals and you still remember it. You might see it and think about it, but you don't feel the same intense pain. You don't have the, you know, and he equated it to a, a physical scar. Um, it's always a part of you, but it's not always as painful as it is in the beginning. Good stuff. And, and a couple of things, uh, this just goes back to some other things that I wrote before. Um, that pain that you feel, the intensity of the pain, can. there's only a few things that will help you with it. In, depending on how close a person is to you and how much you love them, what, how close the relationship w was, you can be really, really affected by that, profoundly affected by it. And the only thing that I thought really helped in the short term was friends. Friends came in and helped dilute the pain, if you will. So, so distraction yeah. and yeah. you dilute, shared it with like them, that. you dilute it a little bit so mm -hmm. the pain's not as concentrated on you. Um, and then time, time dilutes it too. So over time, no the, doubt. the pain kind of dissolves or dissolutes and it comes back in waves and I, I would say my experience when mom passed I'd be fine for a week and then I'd have like a wave like a rogue wave come through of emotions and and uh, remembering and you know I just break down into tears and you know just and, and then nobody be gone for a couple of weeks and like it went out and bounced off something else and came back a few weeks later um, so time helps dilute it and friends help dilute it friends immediately help at the time it take takes some time and especially if you're really struggling, if you're having a hard time getting through it, some people think about taking their own life. And then, you know, if life can be taken so easy, is it does it really mean anything? Right. Uh, you get into that mindset. You need friends around you. You need people around you to to say, hey, look, there's more to life than just this one person. Your your life involved a lot of people whom you love and who love you. You need to focus on them too. So start start focusing on them to help you get out of it. The you know uh, the best way to not sink in quicksand is to Spread yourself out. Right. Don't don't have all your your emotional eggs in the basket of the person that passed away. Your life's bigger than that. Not that that person's not important, and and you should give due time to grieve for that with that person. But you've got a lot bigger life than just the one person, and other people are going to be depending on you to uh, to to pull yourself together and and to start move on. So I read a good on. book called Message of Pain. 
I've heard of that. I have. I've heard of that, too. Uh, Jerry Vines preached a message, Glimpses of Glory. Jerry Vines has a special needs child. And uh, in that message, he quoted this poem. I walked a mile with joy. She chattered all the way. But I was none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. My words said she. But all oh, the lessons I learned when sorrow walked with me. And I'm telling you, I... I Listen to that message and listen to that message. And he says that uh, he really struggled. Because I don't know if you know Jerry Vines, but Jerry Vines is to some level on the same ground as Charles Stanley and the SBC. And uh, he got to a point where he realized that God gave him a special needs child to bring him down a notch. That's his opinion. But he said once he embraced it and realized that the child was exactly the way God wanted her. He said, I'll be up in my study and I'll hear, you know, his daughter clunking up the stairs. And he says, I'll get glimpses of glory. That's <laughs> wow, good stuff. Yeah. I'm telling you, good stuff. Grief and uh, sorrow has a way of clearing away unimportant, frivolous things and right. God's attention. Absolutely. Be right, right away here. One focus. thing I never forgot, you told me, because Dr. Hooks went through the loss of his mother, then horrendous health issues. And after that, he said that on his little uh, planner, he had 18 lessons he's learned from uh, adversity. And uh, I'm sure you still have those somewhere. But one of the things that I've never forgotten, the things that you hang on to so tightly that, that you know you really should let go, maybe you're even trying to let go, sin. He said when adversity comes, drop it like a, like a hot pancake. I mean, just boom. Have it. Don't need this weight. I'm going down. No, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> It's something you shared with me. I maybe I haven't gotten <coughs> those pages in your book, but when we found out Lindsay had cancer, and I, I told her the whole part of the Bible opened up for me. I didn't know the shadow of death mm -hmm. looming over mm -hmm. us, and we'd never felt that before. I never those pages opened up to me, and he said, "Yeah, but what causes a shadow?" He said, "It's God's light on the other side Amen. of that." And I was that's like, stuff. "Wow, yeah, yeah that's, and that's one of those there. things Amen. I'll I'll take with yeah. me." But yeah, God's behind. Amen. Causing all those shadows. So if you can just look through that, he's there. So in closing, because I can hear the rumble coming. <laughs> a fella asked after he lost his three-year-old daughter, he sticks his finger at the preacher's chest and says, how can you tell me that a loving God can let something like this happen to an innocent child? And that preacher said words that has been repeated over and over and over. He said, sir, I've got no answer for you as to why God did allow this to happen. But whether or not God loves you has forever been answered on the backdrop of the cross. And so when you are going through tough times, you must see those trials and tribulations under the backdrop of the cross. Those trials and tribulations is not God telling you he doesn't love you. In fact, the grace and strength for you to get through that is what is God telling you that he loves you. Yeah. Anybody else? We good? Good. Love you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.